Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to another Dabblers Book Club guest special with me, Hadjah J. Woodland. Today I'm joined by the brave, bold and extremely talented Joelle Taylor. Joelle is an award-winning poet, playwright, author and editor whose work will be recognisable to many a GCSE student. A former UK Slam champion, she's the founder of Slambassadors, the UK's Youth Slam Championships, and she's also a fellow of the RSA and host and co-curator of Outspoken, the UK's premier poetry and music club. Her poetry's been described as fearless by none other than Benjamin Zephaniah, and she's just released her fourth collection. It's published by Westbourne Press, and I couldn't love the title more. There's a plus sign where the U should be, but you know how much we love the C word on this show. Yes, this is called Kunto and Othered Poems, and I'm delighted to have Joelle with me to talk more about it. Joelle, thank you so much for joining me. Let's get straight to that title. I love it. Uh, why did you choose it? Tell me more. So the piece began as a commission from Appleton Snakes Performance Poetry Agency, and they commissioned me to write a 15-minute piece around the theme of protest. And I was out touring Australia at the time, which gave me a kind of distance, you know, from my usual kind of... It allowed me to think a bit more clearly. And I sat at my desk and I just started writing these set of cantos. And then it became an in-joke that they were cantos, (laughs) because they were focused on, on women or on butch women. And it was just an in-joke between me and Apples and Snakes and a couple of poet friends. Um, And then I discovered that it's actually a real word, a real non-offensive word, meaning from from, um, old Italian, meaning, if I find it... I've seen it at the front, it's contare, isn't it? Yeah, contare, it's an inflection of contare, meaning to narrate, tell or recount a story, singular, past historic. So it's... Not just it kind of that that description fit exactly what the book was, and then um, my the publishers really wanted me to kind of write other poems in the mm-hmm. title, um, and we kind of agreed on othered poems because that's essentially what they are. It's about that sense of exile and. I imagine you have a lot of that in poetry as well, where you think a word's got a certain meaning, and then suddenly, by some happy coincidence, you find all the other roots that also make sense and that also fit. There are, there are strange sort of synchronicities, definitely for all writers and authors. Like you start to write about something and suddenly 
this strange idea you've had is you see it everywhere you know um and sometimes you can feel like you're going a little bit mad <laughs> i think there's always a sense that particularly poets are a, a part of the zeitgeist or a, a part of this mysterious kind of energy but really what it is is we're observers and so you're watching all the time how the world is moving and you have to have an empathetic link to that mm-hmm. poetry roger robinson calls poems empathy machines you know and i think um that's partly partly why but this is the very first time i've ever decided to google a word just to see <laughs> if it's real and i was absolutely amazed and thrilled frankly yeah <laughs> yeah it's a shame you can't just pretend oh yeah actually no i knew all about everything i just wanted this word to work oh, yeah well this oh. is it this is my problem being working class you know because yep. like i put it in the front of the book it's all very very serious um, and then I tell everyone the real story. <laughs> I just completely undermine myself, like getting gold teeth. Oh, God, it really is. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it does feel like a working class thing. Like, there's almost like this, oh, I can't let people think that um, that was my clever brain coming up with that, even though actually we're in a world where they do, but most people do just pretend that, yeah, no, I knew that all along. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's that, oh, God, I'm a fraud if I don't tell people. And yeah, I can't wear anything. I can take a compliment without telling people exactly how much it cost. I was literally going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? Why can't we just go, thank you? Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I got told off once by my mum. I remember um, I was at my friend's house. So I'm from Peterborough and they lived in like the nicer part of Peterborough, which does exist. Um, and uh, I was wearing some new like platzo pants or something as it was the 90s. And her, my friend's mum um, said, oh, they're really nice. And my mum was picking me up and I said, oh, they were 90p from QD. And my mum just sort of said, don't say that because she could see the exactly. size of the house. And I was like, It's such a huge part of how I define myself mm-hmm. working class. It's a really, um, and, and it's only recently, really over the last 20 years, I've really begun to discover, well, first of all, that class apparently doesn't exist anymore, but also that just the idea of what working class is and who identifies as it has gone really kind of I was going to say amphibious <laughs> amorphous amorphous you know like hey I'm not and, a poet amphibious. I would have no idea you could have said any number of words <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely but but it's it's at the core of me it's absolutely at the root and you know a lot of the work I do certainly with editing and working with younger people or mentoring um adult artists is is all around that it's all around kind of trying to trying to um, introduce people like me into this world which feels so fenced off from the outside. And helping people understand it as well. I feel really bad, actually, because when I'm speaking to 18, 19-year-olds, I'm trying to talk to them about class and they don't realise it yet. It's like they have this lovely youthful naivety of, oh, I just want to be a creative. I'm like, yeah, but do you realise one of the biggest hurdles in this? You're not just going to get discovered and that's enough. Yeah, well, this is the the narrative, isn't it? We're all being fed. Um, And it takes such a long time as a a young artist to realise that actually, no, nobody, it's not, Cliff Richard's not going to mince into the room and take you on the tour bus it's not going to happen I waited so long you know you have to you have to leave your house go to your own front door knock on it then answer it and discover yourself yeah um but I mean half the problem is not just that we're massively underrepresented across the whole of the arts apart from you know spoken word um uh is that it's not just that people aren't taking on working class voices and books so that's a huge part of it is that the working class artists ourselves don't know what to do 
And that's a huge hurdle. It took me so many years to discover what to do. Um, and that, I only discovered that by, by researching how to help somebody else, you know, and then finally, slowly, the knowledge builds up. Um, yeah. And this is a working class book. Conto is very much a working class book about working class butch dykes in the 80s and 90s. You talk about in it, like it's a real sense of, you talk about unity and wanting to go back to a place of unity. And mm. and I was actually wondering whether, um, is that some sort of, I mean, obviously you would have explored this anyway, it's some sort of youthful glow over when you feel so out of place and marginalised and then you finally find your group. That sense of unity is so strong that perhaps yeah. um, it's not so bad nowadays, but the contrast isn't the same. From from going, yeah, from... I mean, a lot of um, a lot of uh, lesbians, gays, bisexuals, my age, who went through the very um, the very difficult eighties. You know, it was very clear oppression. We were, I, I was, you know, I've, I've written in the intro to the book. Violence was quite a common thing, certainly for for us that are very visible, the very visible gay men, very visible lesbians. But it gave us a sense of, you know, we had to stand together. Mm-hmm. We had to watch each other's backs and to have that kind of, you know, it gave us a real community focus. That, of course, and AIDS, and then which led to another pylon of kind of um, injustices against the LGBT community. Yeah. But, but also, Kanto wasn't written for just gay people. That's why there's nobody LGBTQ on the front endorsing it. They're just really well known poets, yeah. really, because it's a story that needs to be part of the mainstream it's the untold story of that time it's like but it's also a book about you know it's a book about grief and loss and friendship community you know um i can't remember i'm saying that i just just started reeling off it yeah it's about common things that's what i mean these are things we all experience you know well, absolutely. And I think with poetry, I'm cause I'm not great. I mean, I wrote, I did write a, a short poem when I was nine years old called Jack Frost. So that's really where my oh, it was poetry done. experience it's been done, mate. <laughs> I, got, I got published by some very lovely, um, yeah, my, my, I think my spunk was more in the writing to the local publishing house than actually writing the poem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that I got myself read the yellow pages. Um, also got a, a, a polite rejection from a place that said, we only publish pregnancy books, but thank you for your weird poem. <laughs> That's the best uh, rejection. <laughs> um, so reading poetry is obviously, I think it's quite a quite a skill for some. And mm. you have to really give yourself time and, and pace. And, and they, it requires a bit of research as well, because there's so many... I mean, it's the same with all work, I suppose. You can feel it, but then there are so many... Um, words that we lost on a reader that's not entrenched in the subject and doesn't understand all the references. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you read poetry? And as a an educator, I suppose you how do you teach people to read poetry? What's such an interesting question? I've never been asked how I teach someone to read poetry. You can say a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a brilliant question. Um, I've only been asked like how I engage people with poetry because I do a lot of live performance and I'm I've grown from that scene. I rooted from that scene. How do I? So, there. Are, first of all, you're not going to like every poetry book, and my f- personal feeling is if you after the first three are just not getting it, 
it's okay then to go and browse through. Oh, the first thing you must do is read a book from beginning to end. Poetry book is just like a novel, and the poet spent a lot of time thinking about the narrative structure. So go along with that. If you like stories, find books like Deaf Republic by Ilya Kaminsky, which is a fantastic, a fantastic poetry collection, a narrative, you know, a fabulous narrative. So there are books out there that are will really engage you. I think Don't Call Us Dead by Daniel Smith is a real gripper as well, you know, which looks at they are a non-binary uh, black HIV positive poet from the States um, and just phenomenal performer. And you can watch kind of bits if you're really not that into poetry yet. Watch people like that on YouTube mm -hmm. and then read what they just said on the page. Yeah, and I think the performance is... Yeah, it gives you a sense of how to read it. And then as you progress through it, you'll find books like Daniel um, Kapil's How to Watch a Heart, which are beautiful, very, very small, simple, easy to read books, very quiet, mm -hmm. you know, on that kind of level. Um, main thing is you just look for the thing you love. Mm -hmm. It's there. I it shouldn't be difficult. If you're no, finding it difficult, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, your kind of poem. <laughs> I think there's something in the contemplation over poems. Like I want to, so with this, I've mm. had a look at, um, briefly glance through it, which is not the way to do it. I want to really sit down and um, and really feel every bit of it. I've seen some lines which are just, just really got me. Um, this one was, uh, which I wrote a note about, my heart is a church bell, but nobody visits, and God is a man, hands in his pockets, watching. And I loved mm. that. Um, what did, when you write stuff, do you, I mean, you're a creative, so it will just be what you feel, but do you have an idea of what you want people to feel from certain lines and what you want them to take from it? I kind of commit myself to the, to the feeling, to the process. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, writing is about inhabiting something, yeah. just like performance is about remembering, mm -hmm. you know. It, so you inhabit something and then something happens. It kind of, your pen always knows where to go. Mm -hmm. But you have to kind of, you have to take it outside first. You have to show it around a little bit. And then um, as you get deeper into that inhabiting moment, images come up. I think for me, poetry is cinema. Mm -hmm or a lot of it is cinema and I, I grew up you know I'm working class I grew up with a tv my mum was assistant manageress at the local cinema so like all my approaches are very visual my writing is very visual and the the writing I really appreciate has these these really strong images you know or, or what we call them boom lines <laughs> make you go <laughs> Uh, in the in the preface, you you say there is no part of a butch lesbian that is welcome in this world. It was bad when I was a teenager, and it's just as bad today. Um, mm. I'm really interested in the centrality of being butch. What does butch being butch mean to that experience? I know we talk about you talk about being a visible uh, lesbian, and are there welcome and unwelcome connotations with that word? Um, mm. And how do the experiences differ um, between sort of straight passing so lesbians and? I mean, it's the the meaning has mutated like all meanings of words do over time, and it depends upon the community receiving it. So, in the late eighties and to the mid nineties, there was a real concerted effort to introduce butch and femme, actually, which I don't talk about at all in the book. 
um, try to try and break that idea that you to have a butch, you must have a femme. That it's in the sort of glossary idea. at the beginning, isn't it? I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a glossary of how to read them of, of the, all, the, all the queer words. Um, yeah. Um, so for me, what butch is, um, I don't dress as a man. I dress as freedom. I dress as escape. And that's a huge part of what it is. It's about how I grew up. It's about what I saw the men doing when I was a kid. Like my father's a very glamorous man. I always saw him leave the room and my mum would be on the floor sobbing, you know, he was quite violent. Um, so I feel like I identified during a really difficult time, a very young age with the person looking really cool, walking mm -hmm. out the room, wow. um, <clears throat> which isn't, you know, a terribly, so terribly, com terribly complex. But also you, as you become more of this, allowing yourself to be who you are, it becomes part of a heritage and you realize this long lineage that you're a part of, like the ancestry of Butch is, is quite a, it's a ceremonial role. The word Butch is probably, probably comes from uh, bull slayer and Boudicca. So it's the idea of the, the bull slayers were always unmarried women, shall we say. Um, and it had this ceremonial and, and revered role. So within the community, it means strong, independent woman. Mm -hmm. There's always a sense of kind of um, there's a, a mournfulness. There's a real sense of style. There's a sense of loneliness, even when you're in a partnership. I mean, I think it's just it represents to me these incredibly brave women. Like I, I see drag queens as incredibly brave, you know, um, these incredibly brave women who broke gender boundaries and refused to behave, sometimes dressing as men, not because they were men, but because that's the way you got the job or that's the way you could walk into town, you know, and as times progressed, the meaning has mutated. Um, and, and I think it's uh, now probably not as well received which is why I wanted to tell the story as well. Mm -hmm. um, I want to tell the story because because of all the, the the social things we're talking about and the political things. But but really, it's because I'm 50 and I miss my friends, my dead friends. You know, I miss those people, and I miss going out to the bar. And mm -hmm. then I look at young girls and I think, what have you got? You know, we've got more freedom, and people rarely attack us these days. You know, and we've got equality, but we're losing each other and. Chechnya is only five hours away. It's really close, you know. Poland, 100 now, you know, LGBT free zones. Uganda, um, Ghana. Mm -hmm. So, Russia, of course. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a small world. Yeah. And, you and mentioned... we are being arrogant in the West. We are being yeah. complacent and arrogant, and we're not taking care of each other. Mm. And too you much mentioned infighting. it in, in, the, in the preface as well and the whole context of this book is so important you know you, you listed the examples and there's it's such a horrifying picture um, that you paint for the LGBT uh, world and, and I think in the UK um, you know we have problems but the realities on a global scale are often forget, forgotten but I want to know how do you obviously you touched on it already but how does that global daily fight affect you internally knowing that in another place your experience would be so different I'm, i imagine that pain is it's very personal real pain it's, it can't be yeah. as an observer yeah absolutely i mean i think dealing with any traumatic stuff 
and it's kind of the stuff I tend to write into is things that need to change, injustices which are traumatic. That, you know, takes a lot of kind of energy and takes a lot out of you. With with uh, Kanto and other poems, I took part, I, was a, I became a, a writer in residence for this organisation and they said write any poem you want over these three weeks and at the end you present it. And I was writing Kanto at the time so I thought well I'll look and watch this film Welcome to Chechnya which um, people had said watch and it took me almost two days to finish watching it I could only watch it in bits it was so horrific and some of it is because I recognise the look in those soldiers eyes I recognise the disgust in the parent I lost my family you know I had to leave many gay people um, of that time queer people we were exiled and we had we lost our families even in the west you know and um I got married, when did I get married? Um, a few years ago, five years ago, um, but family didn't come, you know. Th so there are still things that are, that resonate. It's, um, you know, so fortunate to be in Britain, so, so fortunate. But if I leave and go on holiday, I know there are spaces. I had a bad experience in Turkey. I've had it in Jordan. And so there are definitely countries I won't go to. I know, looking like I do, if I go to a lot of Caribbean countries, I'm going to be visible and, and in trouble. Some African countries, some Middle Eastern countries, the majority, mm -hmm. you know. So these are very real things. It's not just about being LGBT, etc. It's about the visibility of that, I think. And that right to be visible. And being women as well. Being yeah. women, you know, it affronts people. Yeah. And I think it does fit into the, the Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today very um you know the, the misogyny the global misogyny and and the opinions on women whatever we do like what whatever mm. <laughs> um because you go to the <laughs> other side where you're extremely feminine presenting and then there's another thing obviously it's not with the same political heat behind it or it's um, the same control it's the same yeah. it's control you know and and um it, this these are clothes and this is hair it's not that deep <laughs> I was a headscarf wearer for 13 years so the oh, whole really? hair yeah I was raised uh, very strict practicing Muslim and um, so yeah even with the headscarf and without headscarf it's like it makes no difference if you are a woman 
you are a target. It doesn't matter. When I was um, in Sharjah for a conference, I was 16, was wearing head to toe black, didn't cover my face, still got stalked to my hotel room. The next wow. day I covered my face. So, as, you know, as a 16 year old, it's just but insane. This, but there is a similarity. I was trying to get out in the book. There's a character called Dudzilli, um, who really, we just know really about Dudzilli's clothes because to her, they are armour. So it's a similar thing. You're covered. We, when I first started wearing more masculine clothes, it was t- there was a sense of it protecting me as well, yeah. and 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 weirdly not bringing attention to myself because because it's red as dowdy number one, mm-hmm. which is is practically an invisibility cloak, you know. So <laughs> there are similarities. I wouldn't, you know, in the in the in the sort of what what do you have to do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the problem is women. We are we're like it's that, like, well, we're just doing uh, women wrong. We're doing it totally wrong. <laughs> what is it? What should we do? I don't know. It's, sort of, it's so interesting as well because when you the, the idea of um, sort of presenting as butch and, and presenting as masculine as um, in as you define it in the um, in the book that comes with a lot of respect, I imagine, from some from some people, it, it, possibly in certain circles, uh, men straight men especially might not treat you as a silly girl they might treat you as well one of the lads as sort of like nothing no one can just be can no i still feel very much in the work i do a woman because there might be some behaviors but i still get treated very much like a woman i'll be talked over at times you know etc but i think aesthetically you can i've just experimented with allowing my gray to come through i can age it's possible like an age. So I'm going to try that, you know, and it's I don't wear makeup, which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I think it's really not helpful when the photos come out. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> but but I think it's really important for women to have bare face if they want to. I know. Well, if you wait. want to without it being seen as and the need to still look feminine or still look away. Men just walk around with their damn faces. They're just walking around. <laughs> Well, Nobody's I, messing with their faces. You know? well, in Zoom, it's like no professional Zoom meeting. Even in, in work starts without, oh, I'm so sorry about my face. <laughs> like women just apologising. This is just awful. How how dare I present this? It's, this and it's been a particularly dysphoric 18 months with all of us on Zoom. You know, like yeah. I've literally stared at myself for <laughs> 18 months. Um, I'm going to destroy every mirror after this period <laughs> I over. feel so old in a year like I cannot believe and I don't know whether it's because I'm 35 now and I don't know whether there's this leap from 33 and a half to 35 and um, where you just notice tiny things but to yesterday on I've posted something on TikTok I'm trying I'm trying to stay <laughs> with it and uh someone called me auntie <laughs> I'm now in the auntie oh. category no. I was like, I thought that didn't happen to like 40, 45. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm now an auntie to strangers. Uh, but yeah, as women, I just, I mean, well, as anyone who, I don't know, women especially, I think women are definitely, whatever we do, it literally doesn't matter. Like there's, there's, some, there's some problem. Uh, yeah. And, and these are particularly, you know, I write in the book about narrators. And I've always had this idea that, like, I can't, ever since I was born, no matter what I do, walking down the street, someone will say something. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just, you know, lesbian. And you're like, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> straight man. <laughs> we play, is, it, is this like I Spy? Is there a massive game going on across the planet? You know, but 
but but even that, no matter what I do, in smaller things, there's this yeah. constant sense. This is a little man walking behind us going, I'm not sure you're doing that right, love. Are you sure about that? Certain type of men just have to say something. And mm. um, anyway, sorry, I'm veering away from the actual point, which is, um, you know, it's, it is very different and it's very serious, of course. Um, LGBT issues, which you talked about, and like you were saying in Chechnya and Poland, just... Um, just unfathomable and and yeah like the poetry is a way of feeling that and expressing that because it's um it should be everyone should be feeling it and it should be more important it should be more form a bigger part of foreign policy foreign intervention human rights issues in in the uk we just need to to care i mean one of the things that's come up around pride i don't know if you've seen it over social media but we have various big well-known corporations who've turned their logo into into the the freedom flag but those same organizations operate out of countries where they imprison or execute gay people so there is a it's just you're just empty you know we see through you we know exactly what you're doing you know and you're literally trying to make some money out of out of our oppression and distract distract us all the time from real issues and and do nothing about the bigger wider picture. I think you're right. It should be a, a kind of global thing. Um you, you know. Younger but, LGBT um people or just generally kids kids today, um, do you think they are being swept along with this as a distraction method or do you uh, what are you seeing mm, of the activism it, in the younger Yeah, it's it's difficult it's difficult for me to really say. I because I, you know you all have your own bubbles on social media, so mm. It, nobody knows what anybody really thinks anymore. Yeah. I will say I've seen I've seen a lot of kind of anti-pride stuff from young people. There seems to be a sort of awakening around it. But you know, um, I think I think the corporate commodification of of pride is the branding of trauma, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that means that some people's stories will are just not palatable, and therefore the big brands will drop the story of things like Butch Dykes or, you know, or or other people. So it's difficult. It feels like a, a time when, whilst you're very fortunate, on a global scale, something is coming mm-hmm. and we're being really complacent and it's a call to unity. The other thing is, Hajar, this book is not just a book. In the end of the year, it becomes a full stage show with four four actors. Oh, wow. Who are no, including me, I'm one of them. Oh, incredible! And will include other queer performers, you know, um, and poets who come and take part in the show. We're going to recreate the Maryville Bar, and so that after you know once a week it can turn into, you know, an oh, old club like the Bell, and bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. Just to recreate that, yeah, sense of unity. It is hopefully it is locked down making it seem worse and that it's actually people are ready to to sort of fall that Maybe, again. Um, yeah, I mean, I think ironically, perhaps the pandemic has helped to kind of really reinstill with us, you know, we've had a lot of self-reflective time mm. until we've gone like completely mad. <laughs> and now it's now it's time to leave the house, people. Yeah. And come back together yeah. and and relax and and you know have a party whilst this book as you know is 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 kind of quite hard hitting it's also like it's also a party 
Mm-hmm. And I, that will only come through, I think, or hope it comes through in the book, the sense of tenderness between these characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm excited about that. That sounds, um, I'll definitely come and see that. If it's, is it in London? Yeah, the, yeah it's yeah. going on at the Albany in November, okay. 23rd to the 25th, I think. It's just doing a little scratch performance and then off to Australia in February, March. Oh, All COVID dependent, obviously. <laughs> yep. um, so, well, let's get back to the class thing. Um, the class thing and the massive class thing, just a small, easy thing to <laughs> talk about. Um, in the anthology Smashing It, uh, which is sort of intended, oh, it's kind yeah. of a celebration um, and also an inspiration for working class creatives. Um, and your piece Smashing uh, the Class Ceiling is really uplifting and I could really relate to it. I'm just going to read the first paragraph by May, point one, because um, I really, I could really feel it in my throat, this bit. There is a class ceiling and shards of it are stuck in the back of your throat. It shattered the first time you wrote a poem and your tongue broke along with it. It is still broken. Carry it in the bowl of your mouth like you would cradle your writing award. Um, I love that as a first bit. Um, That's kind of like you're almost giving advice to creatives or for sense of trying to get people to own that sense of being working class tell me yeah you can talk to me about that or tell me about your general experiences absolutely um, um the idea behind that is edited by sabrina mafuz and mm. and she was like <clears throat> she wanted to publish one of my poems uh, gutter girls but then said could you do like um tips really 10 top 10 tips yeah. or something like that and um because I'm not a very magazine kind of writer, like like punchy sort of thing. It all came out quite bleak poetry. But, but essentially, it's about naming the things we don't talk about that hold us back. Mm-hmm. So I worry all the time that how I'm perceived. I've been, you know, described by people who love my work as rough around the edges. And I go like, I've got a first class degree. I'm really trying here, people. You know, um... And just to kind of have that acknowledgement, then you get strength again in collectivity and mm. in, in you reading that and going, oh, yeah, I remember, yeah. you know, and just that was really it. Trying to think of the things that, that held me back and, and, to, and to set them down in order for other people to use them to, mm-hmm. to succeed a bit do you, quicker. Do you think we need to change our definition of what success looks like as well as creating from working class backgrounds? Yes, yes. I mean, we were talking about that earlier. The star system, that's what it is. You know, um, um, so success um, within the arts is everybody in, you know, your household name. You are the poet laureate or a very (laughs) famous poet or you're this or you're a rock star, you know, film um, star. But like, um, that isn't what the arts is. That's a system developed which holds the arts back mm-hmm. it's this sense of being chosen and being you know representing a generation is ludicrous it's absolutely ludicrous it's like only having one kind of music or something it's 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 a nonsense so dominant cultural ideology is all f- all based around that and we all fall for it every time the awards ceremonies come around your your stomach drops mm-hmm. you know every time you are long listed but don't make the short list it makes you think less of yourself. So then you start asking, what are these awards for? Is it just for 20 people a year? Or is, what is this doing for this art form? Mm-hmm. You know, if it, it, or does it just help to perpetuate this idea that there are very special people and yeah. and other people, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
I, I think with creativity as well, it depends on the background you come from, your sort of family and, and social um, circles. But it's almost like if you're going to be creative, then the only way to do that is to either do the stage school or study poetry and be noticed and be spotted. Um, there's no other type of work. No one, and I have this way because I'm a singer as well. My partner was a guitarist too. And he would have this where people go, oh, do you want to go on X Factor? Do you want to do this? Is this? It's like you don't realise when you're younger that there are loads of jobs you can do or create yeah. for yourself as well. There's still value in your creativity yeah. that you can still yeah. sell to people or get funding or anything. And I just had no idea about that. Your job is to imagine new things. Mm. Your job is to witness as writers. So, you know, um, to be a creative thinker is something that, when I'm in schools, you know, I, I've worked in schools for 20 years. That's really what you're teaching. It's not poetry or short stories. You're teaching them how to think creatively, how to access mm. things in a creative way, um, which doesn't mean that suddenly everybody's doing pink bubble writing over everything. It means thinking of the thing that nobody thought of mm -hmm. in order to solve the problem mm. and making mistakes that become beautiful mistakes and, and new things of their own. You know, it teaches people courage. It teaches people their history and ancestry, where they come from, where they might go. This enables humanity to kind of ex explore ourselves and and try to understand ourselves a little bit. Yeah. And it's it's great. It's just great fun, man. <laughs> you know, would we have survived lockdown without Netflix? No. Or without music? You know, absolutely not. And these, those are the arts. Yeah. That is, you know, most popular arts that we have. Um, did you always think you could be a poet? What was your route to poetry and creativity? Like, um, I, I, I wanted to be a punk singer. Cool. Um, and I was, but, but really, really quite bad. Um, but the thing that really attracted me, I loved reading. Mm -hmm. and the thing that really to me to punk music was what they were saying was the words so I started writing down basically what are lyrics that slowly became poetry and I've been doing it all my life mm -hmm. literally wow. I also like I founded a theatre company and I founded the National Youth Slams but I had this working class notion that I just wasn't going to let go and that led to extreme poverty and homelessness seriously you know wow. i shouldn't have been let out by myself in the world you know, i feel like that really i'm like what was yeah what was i doing why what was the protection how like, come i'm alive <laughs> yeah i mean i had um because my parents were clueless and we sort of had middle class aspirations and an attitude so we had this idea of education but no money no foundation no sense of how the world worked because we were also raised muslim by a and I, man, I was a got into a really good university, but didn't know what to do with that because you're surrounded by very, very posh are. people. Um, and I always thought aspiration meant being accepted by people better than you. I had a very sort of pride and prejudice, prejudice upbringing. <laughs> we all do exactly. That's how I was like. Well, if I speak like this, it's like you say you're rough around the edges. I'm sort of rough right on the inside. The outside seems <laughs> quite sort of ooh. Um, and then when people meet me, they're like, oh, <laughs> you have no breeding. Um, you raised a really good point. I got there and I didn't know what to do with it. Um, and I remember being at university and, and, and having no money. So I, I had nothing to eat. And I'm talking for a long time. It was um, it, it was a really tough time, but also a very creative time. Mm -hmm. um, I remember watching all these posh people, 
like going out to dinner, um, going to think they seem to take the ferry to France an awful lot. And also, like, people would, would arrive there, like, with dreadlocks, white people with dreadlocks, going, yeah, man. And they'd done a gap here in Goa or, you know, <laughs> Koh Samui. <laughs> oh god i'd love to a gap year in coast you could just do anything you want can't you you can literally just there's no care yeah. in the world the sense of i mean i'm character you know caricaturing everyone but there was a sense as well that they didn't really need to work that hard because it didn't matter because mm -hmm. they had the contacts yeah. You know, and they some of them went straight into TV, you know, lowest rung, but as gaffers and things like that. But they went straight in there. And they knew it would pay off. I think that's the big difference. Starting yeah. out on a low rung, I always have this very, I think it's a working class impatience because it's what mm. if this isn't the right way? What is in this, if this isn't the right way? Because you've got no safety net underneath you. That if it's not, then you're fucked. But if it's. Yeah, and you can't, yeah, without a safety net, you can't do internships. And that's one of the major ways you get involved in big organizations, mm -hmm. you know. Um, an internship, um, very few are paid. So you need, particularly if you're doing one in London for one of the big organizations, the arts spaces, you need enough money to be able to cover your rent yeah. and your food and not get paid and travel every single day. Did you, like, I guess you didn't decide to be a poet, you just were a poet, you just wrote poetry and that's kind of... And like I said, I started with punk lyrics, so... Those are the first things that really kind of keyed with me. And there was a punk um, poet at the time called Jules, who is an author now called Jules Demby. And she was like, such a, a magnificent figure for a woman in the sort of early 80s. She was seemed to be six foot, big pink or purple Mohican tattoos. And nobody had tattoos at, at that mm -hmm. time, very few people. And then she would stand on stage and read these poems and, and within like minutes I had a pink Mohican <laughs> and I started doing poems. <laughs> I do owe her a lot because up to then the only poets I'd seen, what we'd now call spoken word artists, were people like John Cooper Clark and Attila the Stockbroker and it was, you know, Seething Wells. It was all male men. Mm -hmm. And when I read books of poetry, it was men. Wilfred Owen, etc, etc. Yeah, yeah. So punk kind of inspired me and also led me into thinking about that, that even women could write poetry <laughs> even them <laughs> and then finding those women as well the those authors um i think it's like anything you you start raw and then you you put your work in to try to learn more about it but you must love it well this has been absolutely wonderful i've really really enjoyed talking to you thank you Hajar. um i'm yeah really excited i'm going to give myself time i didn't want to just rush through so i've read a few bits of it read up on you but i'm going to give myself time to read this and then really looking forward to seeing it on stage thank you so much joel Pleasure. your book kanto and othered poems is out now and it's uh published by westbourne press thank you so much and thank hope you. lots of people enjoy it and read it and um yeah looking forward to seeing you on stage at the end of the year thank okay, you so thank much you. <laughs> bye bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.